is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. And I want you to open God's book tonight in the New Testament to the gospel record according to Luke. We're going to the doctor's office tonight, all right? Four gospel records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and uh, only one gospel. That's the message of Jesus. But you have four different accounts, four different descriptions. And when you come to Luke, I want you to find your place near the end, if you will, of the book to Luke chapter number 22, and tonight, we're going to look at another one of Jesus and the disciples. When we're done this week, I hope you won't say Jesus and their name. I hope you'll be able to say Jesus and me. We're trying to boil it all down. It's just Jesus and me, me and the Lord. I've talked to you about Jesus and Judas, Jesus and Thomas. Tonight, we come to arguably the most famous of the disciples, Jesus and Peter. Now, the interesting thing about Peter's life is there, like most lives, were lots of twists and turns in his experience with the Lord. Frankly, there weren't just twists and turns. There were lots of ups and downs in his relationship with the Lord. Some of you, you're, you're on an upswing right now, thank God. Some of you are still down, and uh, tonight's your night. Uh, but there, there are times where you feel very close to God, and there are times where you feel like maybe you are away from where you ought to be. Here's the wonderful thing. You might do this. Everybody look at me a second. You might do this, but Jesus never does. Jesus is always the same. The spiritual chart of most teenagers looks something like this. Summer camp and then the rest of the year. And then it's back to summer camp. Let's all get right with God. And then the rest of the year. So it's up and down, in and out, on and off, hot and cold. And I want to tell you tonight, God doesn't want you to live on a religious roller coaster. The Lord wants you to live a consistent Christian life. And the only way that's ever going to happen is you've got to learn to be less like Peter and more like Jesus. In fact, Peter had to come to the end of himself. And when you come to Luke chapter number 22, you come to one of the great turning points in his life. And before we read it, I want to tell you what I've been praying for tonight's meeting. I've been praying that this meeting tonight would be a turning point for everybody here. Not for some of you, for everybody here. Because there's lots of those moments in life. It's not just getting saved. That's great. But there are many turning points in life where the Lord just redirects you a little bit and helps you become more what he wants you to be. And this was one of those moments in Peter's life. Look at Luke 22, verse 54. The Bible says, then took they him. The him there is Jesus. They took him and led him and brought him into the high priest house. And Peter followed afar off. They've just been in the garden. It's where Judas led the mob. They've arrested him. They all forsook him and fled. Now they're taking him to the high priest's house. It's kind of almost comical, really, when you think about it. 
The high priest was the most revered, respected guy in the religious institution of Israel. And yet standing in front of their high priest was the high priest of heaven. And he didn't even know who was standing in front of him. Jesus is our great high priest. So the high priest comes to the high priest. And Peter sneaks in the back door. Finds a corner. Sits down just to observe what will happen and tries to go unnoticed. And look at verse 55. When they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord How he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. I wish I had time tonight, I really do. To go all the way back to the beginning where Jesus said, Follow me, and he started following him and walk you through all the steps of the journey of Jesus and Peter. I don't have time to do that tonight. So in this few moments I have with you, I want to concentrate on the second half of the story because this, frankly, is where it gets really good. This, This is where God makes Peter what he always intended to make him from the very beginning. You see, it's a really funny thing. But Peter's name originally was not Peter. It was Simon. And the Lord changed his name, said, you're going to be called Peter. And when he said that, that was way early on. The the name Peter means rock. And we might think, well, Peter was a pretty strong guy. But actually, when Jesus told him he was going to be called Peter, he was the most unpredictable, emotional, vacillating of all of the disciples. It's almost laughable that Jesus looked at him and said, you're the rock. He wasn't the rock at that moment. He was like jello. You couldn't nail him down. He, he was here and there and everywhere. And Jesus said, you're going to be the rock. I love this. Look, please. Jesus was not seeing him as he was. Jesus was seeing him as he was going to be. I'm looking across this auditorium tonight, and I see you where you are, this stage in life, and I'm thrilled. And I really mean this. I'm so excited because I'm looking around this room, and I know there are young men in here. God's going to do something out of the ordinary with your life. There are young ladies in here. God's got something so special for you. I can't see all that, and maybe you can't see all that right now. Maybe you think nobody else can see that right now. But, oh, this is so hopeful. When the Lord looks at your life, He sees the end from the beginning. He doesn't just see you where you are. Now, He loves you where you are. And thank God, He meets you where you are. But He doesn't leave you where you are. No, no. He sees you where He's going to take you. And what we just read in Luke 22 doesn't sound very hopeful. I get that. But stay with me a second. He's weeping bitterly. And somebody says, man, this is a terrible end of the story. No, this is not the end. This is the new beginning. Do you know what you find in the second half of Peter's story? You find Jesus' love for backsliders you find God's mercy for people who blew it let's take a survey how many of you ever made a decision that you wish you had a do-over on would you raise your hand how many of you ever did something really stupid 
How many of you have anything in your past? Don't tell me what it is. I don't want to know. I'm not your priest. How many of you have anything in your past? You think, man, if I could back up, I would not do that again. Would you raise your hand, please? Okay, now look at me just a second. See, we immediately go to those things, and we pull them up in our mind. And I'll tell you who else loves to pull them up. The devil loves to pull them up. In fact, he wants to use it like a club to beat you over the head. Say, see, you're not really a Christian. See, you don't really love Jesus. See, God can never use you. See, you're not spiritual enough. And he beats you down and beats you down and beats you down. Here's the great thing. The devil will beat you down. The Lord Jesus is always lifting you up. You remember when that woman was taken in the very act of adultery? She was in the middle of an adulterous relationship, and they caught her, and they drug her into an open forum like what we're in right now. And the Jewish law said she had to be stoned. And they, they threw it down in the midst, and they said to Jesus, Now, what are we going to do with her? And they all picked up stones. They're getting ready to stone her, you see. And the Bible says Jesus got down and wrote on the ground. I've heard preachers actually preach about what he wrote on the ground. Can I tell you what he wrote on the ground? We have no idea. Because the Bible doesn't say what he wrote on the ground. I have no idea what he wrote on the ground. God didn't tell us. Look, please, I don't think that's the point. When he got down and wrote on the ground, look where he is now. He's eye level with her. They're all standing up here with stones in the hand ready to kill her. What does Jesus do? Oh, I love this picture. God in his mercy and grace, he gets right down there where she is. Isn't that just like Jesus? You can't get to where he is, so he comes to where you are. You see, the Lord in his mercy and grace brings hope for failures. That's what we've all done. We've all failed the Lord. We've all blown it. We're all a bunch of sinners. The most religious among us, we've done terrible things and we've left other things undone. Please don't miss this. If there was hope for a man like Peter, there's hope for you. Just a couple of chapters previous, he made the greatest promise of any of the disciples. He looked Jesus in the face and said, I will go with you to death. And Jesus said, no, you won't. No, you'll deny me three times before the night's over, before the rooster crows. You'll deny me. And sure enough, here is Peter. Another one of the gospel records tells us that he didn't just deny, he cursed. Think about this. A preacher cursing and saying he doesn't know Jesus. How many of you would be a little surprised after hearing me preach this week if you heard me out here on the ball field this afternoon cursing and swearing? How many would be a little surprised by that? How many of you wouldn't want to come in here and listen to me preach tonight if you heard me cursing and swearing earlier today? The reality is this, this doesn't jive. This, this doesn't match up with somebody that says they really love Jesus. And yet, here he is at a low moment in his life with his eyes off of Christ. And suddenly he sins against the Lord. In fact, here's why. Look in verse number 54. In verse 54, he's too far. That's his problem. He's too far from Jesus. Instead of coming near to him like God wants us to be, he lets something come between him and God. Is there anything between you and God tonight, young man? Young lady, is there anything between you and God? I'm not asking, is it big? I'm asking, is there anything between you and the Lord? I'm in a lot of revival meetings, and man, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard people sing Revive Us Again, that's everybody's favorite revival song. But I'm going to tell you my favorite revival song. It was written by a man named Charles Tinley. He was the son of a slave. He started as a janitor in a church in Philadelphia and became the pastor of the church. He wrote my favorite revival hymn. It goes like this. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. 
Not of this world's delusive dreams. I have renounced all sinful pleasure. Jesus is mine. There's nothing between. At this moment, Peter lets something come between him and God. The prophet said, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. It's not that God can't hear your prayer. It's not that God can't work in your life. It's that you, you're too far from him. You've let something come between you and God. That's not all. Look at verse 55. He's not just too far. He's too familiar. Suddenly, he's not just standing there. He like pull up, pulls up a chair. He says, I think I'll just blend into the crowd a little bit. Some of you are trying real hard right now to blend into the crowd. God knows where you are. God knows what's in your heart. Here's Peter, just too familiar. By the way, that's the way sin does. It never gets better on its own. It always gets worse. Psalm 1 says, you be real careful. You used to run the race. Now you're standing in the way of sinners. Then you're sitting in the seat of the scornful. There, there's a digression here. In Peter's life, in all of our lives, he's too far from Jesus. He's too familiar with this world. He's become a friend and an acquaintance of those who are enemies of Christ. That's not all. Look at verse 56. He's too fearful. Here's, here's big brash Peter that said, I'll go with you to death. And a little maid is the first one to speak to him. And he's scared to death of a teenage girl. A teenage girl says to him, that's what the word means, says to him, I think you're one of the followers of Jesus. And he said, I am not. Scared to death. By the way, you get right with God and you won't live in fear. You won't be bound by fear. You won't cower in a corner and be hesitant and tentative about your faith. When Jesus has his rightful place in your life, you'll be unashamed to be publicly identified with Jesus Christ. You think raising your hands hard or standing up's hard or going out of this room is hard? Let me tell you what's hard. Jesus took your sin, went to the cross, identified with hell-deserving sinners. He did all the hard work. When Jesus becomes precious to you, you will not be ashamed of Jesus Christ. A few days later, Peter will stand up and preach on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people get saved. Something's getting ready to change. He's too far, he's too familiar, he's too fearful. And when you come to verse number 61, you find the real problem. He was too forgetful. Because the Bible says, until after Jesus looked at him, he didn't remember what Jesus had said. We all have besetting sins. How many of you know what yours is? I'm just curious. How many of you know what your besetting sin is? Do you know what a besetting sin is? It's the thing that keeps getting you off track over and over and over again. Like the thing you have to confess over and over and over. How many of you know what it is? I know what mine are. I'm not going to tell you what they are. It's none of your business. I'm not asking you to tell me what yours are. But we all have them. I'll tell you what one of mine is, forgetfulness. Now, that, that may not sound like much of a, a sin to you, but it's a sin that produces lots of other sins. See, when you forget how good God has been, you start wanting other things. When, when you forget how merciful the Lord has been and how much he's forgiven, it's real easy to drift back into sin. When you forget that vow you made last year at camp, in the youth meeting where you gave your life to God, when you can forget that, then suddenly you, you start making other plans for your life. See, when, when you're too far and too familiar and too fearful and too forgetful, you're going to fail the Lord Jesus. And if that were the end of the story, man, this would be depressing. But it's not. It's never the end of the story for the child of God. I love what Adam Judson said. He said the future is just as bright as all the promises of God. I'm not asking you to make God a promise tonight. I'm asking you to lay hold on one of the promises of God yourself to understand that Jesus has never forgotten you, has never failed you, has never forsaken you, and he's not about to start at this juncture in your life. God has something more for you. So what is the secret to him getting back on track? Well, before I show you, 
Let me give you one of the most hopeful things in the whole Bible. Put your right hand here. Don't lose your spot. Coming right back. Hold your place in Luke 22. And with your left hand, I want you to find Mark 16. It's back one book in your Bible. So the previous gospel record, find Mark 16. This is after the death of Jesus, after the burial, and after the resurrection. Jesus has come out of the grave. An angel is announcing that he's not here. He's risen to the women. He's telling them, go tell the rest of the disciples. Look at Mark 16, verse 7. Did you ever notice this in your Bible? Mark 16, 7. Go your way, the angel says. Tell his disciples. Read the next two words out loud with me. You got it right there? Mark 16, 7. Next two words. Tell his disciples what? And Peter. Circle those two words in your Bible. Tell the disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him as he said unto you. This is so good. You know what I think? I think Peter thought at this juncture he was on the outs. I think at this juncture, if they had just said the disciples, Peter would have said, well, I'm not one of the disciples anymore because surely the Lord has disowned me now. I love this. The Lord calls him by name. Hey, God knows your name. God's calling some of your names tonight. He wants you for his very own The devil wants to use your failure as a wedge between you and God. Don't let it be a wedge. Let it be a prod that drives you nearer to God. Don't run away from Jesus. Let the great weakness of your own life be the impetus, the motivation that makes you run toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And the angel said, hey ladies, when you get there, call Peter's name. Tell Peter Jesus wants to see him. You know what that is? That's the Lord opening wide the door of mercy and saying, I know you blew it, son, but I'm forgiving you. Hey, prodigal, I know you wasted your far substance with riotous living, smell like the pigs now, but I want you to know your father has the door open and is waiting for you to come back home. I came to tell you tonight, you may have blown it. You may have miserably messed up your life, and you may have even believed the lie that you got a big, black, ugly mark on your life that is going to mark you forever, and there's no future for you. I'm going to tell you tonight, your sin can be put under the blood of Jesus Christ. You can have a new beginning. You can get past your past. God has more for every one of us who have failed the Lord Jesus. How does that happen? Go back now to Luke 22 and let me give you my thoughts quickly and you can write them down. Here's how Peter comes not just back to where he was but goes even further. Number one, look at verse 61. He got a glimpse of the Lord. The first thing you need is a fresh glimpse of Jesus. The hymn writer said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I'm happy. I'm very happy if you forget my name. You don't have to remember who preached this week. You don't have to remember my outlines. I'm okay with that. But I'm going to tell you what I want. When you leave this camp, I want you to know that you met Jesus here and you've got a glimpse of Christ and what he did for you. And Jesus is more precious to you than ever before in your life. You need a fresh glimpse of Jesus. Look at verse 61. The Bible says the Lord turned and looked at him. I used to preach this all wrong. You know, it's bad when you preach things and realize you didn't preach it the right way. I used to preach it like the Lord turned in disgust and disdain Almost like, I told you so. And then one day I was studying this, and it dawned on me. That was never the spirit of Jesus, number one. And number two, do you really think Jesus was surprised that he blew it? He told him in advance what he was going to do. 
He knows your sinful heart better than you know your sinful heart. And still, He loves you. No, I think the look of Jesus was a look of tenderness and mercy. In fact, I think Jesus had tears in His eyes. And that's what broke the heart of Peter and brought tears to the eyes of Peter. I wish tonight you could see Jesus on that cross. Suspended between heaven and earth, between life and death for your sins. It's midnight in the middle of the day as God the Father turns His back on His own Son because at that moment His Son had become your sin and a cry pierces that darkness. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? On this side of the cross we know the answer to the question. He was forsaken so you could be restored. He was cut off so you could be saved. He took hell at that moment so you could take heaven He took darkness and sin so that you could take light and righteousness. There was a divine transaction going on on that cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. I say, get your eyes off of social media a little while. Get your eyes off your friends. Get your eyes off what you want. And get your eyes back on Jesus. And here's what you'll discover. When you look to the Lord you'll discover he's already got his eye on you. Last Sunday, I preached all day in a church from the book of Jonah. And it hit me Sunday as I was reading through that passage again. Jonah's in the belly of a fish praying. Remember that? And he says, I'm I'm cast out of God's sight. God can't even see me anymore. God knew right where he was. God sent the great fish. And then Jonah said this, but I... We'll look again. You know what some young men and young women in this room need to do tonight? Some of you need to look again. Some of you got saved years ago. You remember when you got saved and you're all excited about Jesus and on fire for God, but now your heart has grown cold towards spiritual things. I'm going to tell you what you need. You don't need to get saved again. You get saved one time. Jesus died for you once, was buried once, rose once. He saves you once. Once is more than enough. Eternal life is eternal life. You don't need to get saved again. But what some of you need to do is look again to Jesus tonight and recommit your life to Christ. In the next chapter in Jonah, the Bible says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Anybody else glad God's a second chance God? Anybody glad for second chances? And third and fourth and fifth? And what we must do, number one, we must get a fresh glimpse of Jesus. There's a second thing I want you to see. Look at the end of verse 61 and verse number 62. He remembered the word. The Bible says Peter remembered the word of the Lord, what the Lord had said. In verse 62, that's what broke his heart. Look up here. This is a hammer. I'm preaching from a hammer this week. That's what the Bible says. It says this is a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Some of you think, I'm trying to persuade you. I'm trying to convince you. No, no. I'm just giving you the word of God. The word of God does the work. If you respond, it won't be to my words. It'll be to God's word. Look, you can hear me talk for, for a year and it never changed your life. But one word from the word can change everything. May I ask, what's the Lord been trying to say to you this week? What is the word of God that keeps coming back to you? Keeps ringing in your ears. You lay down in your cabin at night and you can't get away from it. You wake up in the morning it's still there. Through the day, it keeps coming to your mind. Every time you come into a service, it's like, it doesn't matter what the preacher's preaching on, God's speaking to you about something. That's the word of the Lord. It's time to remember what God's saying to you and respond to it. By the way, here's a little secret, not just to getting right with God. Here's a secret to staying right with God. If you don't want to sin against God to start with, remember the word before you fail. 
remember God and think on truth before you do the wrong thing. I, I don't want you just to get right this week. I want you to learn to stay right and live right and stay close to the Lord Jesus. How do you do it? You get a fresh glimpse of Jesus every day and you remember the Word of God. There's a third thing. Look across chapter 24. Turn a page. Come to chapter 24, verse 12. The Bible says, Then arose Peter and ran to the sepulcher. And stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. I love this. He made a fresh visit to the empty tomb. You not only need a glimpse of what Jesus did for you on the cross, you need to realize what he provided when he rose from the dead. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said the devil came to steal from you, to kill, and to destroy. He said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I'm going to tell you something. There is a joy. There is a love. There is a peace. There is a gladness. There is a purpose that is found in the risen Christ that the world can't give you and the world cannot take it away. You don't just visit the empty tomb on Easter Sunday. No, my friend, tonight you need to look in that tomb with Peter and say, yep, he's not there. Muhammad's still dead, buried in his grave. Confucius still dead, buried in his grave. All the religious leaders still dead, buried in their grave. But Jesus Christ is alive forevermore. We serve a living Savior. He's not a dead God. He's alive and he wants to live in you. You know what the empty tomb was? It was hope. Graveyards usually mean the end. But when you come to an empty tomb, it's a reminder, no, no, there is a future for the people of God. I wish I had time to show you this. But in John's record, Peter didn't run by himself. John ran with him, and John was faster than Peter. That's in the Bible. John actually got to the grave before Peter did. John didn't go in, a little tentative. Peter just rushed right in. That sounds like Peter, doesn't it? Just barge right on in and look around. Then John came in and saw it. And it's interesting to me, Peter was not the first to get there. He was not the fastest runner. He was not the first guy to see it all, but he finally got there. And maybe some of you have delayed a little bit. Maybe you feel like you're lagging a little bit behind. I want you to know that's all right. The Lord's waiting on you right now. You just get there and have your own experience with the Lord Jesus. There's a fourth thing I want you to write down, and it's this. He talked with the Lord. You're still in chapter 24? Look at verse number 34. Did you ever notice that they had a private conversation? Verse 34 says, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. 1 Corinthians 15, 5, the great resurrection chapter, mentions a meeting, a private meeting between Jesus and Peter. You know what some of you need? Some of you need to just forget all the crowd for a second. Forget the youth pastor. Forget your parents back home. Forget everybody for a second. And you need to boil the whole thing down to just you and Jesus. And tonight, you need to have a good talk with Christ. He'd been talking to you all week. Don't you think it'd be nice if we stopped being rude and actually talked back to him and said, Lord, you're right. And talk to him about what he's talking to us about. You want a new beginning? You want a, you want a fresh start? You want the future God has for you? Then get a fresh glimpse of the Lord. Remember the word. See the hope of a risen Savior. Talk to Jesus. Number five. He reaffirmed his love for Christ. Turn over to John 21 with me. We'll finish in John 21. Go to the, the next gospel record, the fourth one. End of it. Look at John 21. Jesus is having breakfast with the disciples. John 21, verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Time out just a second. Let me point out two things. Number one, he calls him by his old name. 
Did you ever notice that? Jesus had changed his name. What's his name? Tell me, what's his new name? How do we know him? What's his name? Peter. He didn't call him Peter. He calls him Simon. He even goes all the way back and tells him who his daddy is. Simon, son of Jonas. And I got to pondering that the other day. I wonder why I used his old name. I'm going to tell you what I think. I think it was he was reminding Simon who he used to be, where he was when Jesus found him, and what the Lord had done in his life. Maybe some of us need to go back and remember where we would be if it wasn't for Jesus. What could have happened with our life if Jesus had not been merciful to every one of us? We all got a past. We all got our own junk. And I'm going to tell you, the Lord is greater than all of that. Simon, son of Jonas, and notice this question, lovest thou me more than these? I've heard some people say, he was talking about the other disciples. Do you love me more than them? I don't think that at all because Jesus never works in comparisons that way. Stop trying to just be a better girl in your youth group or be the best guy at the school. It's not between you and them. It's between you and him. I think Jesus was pointing to the boat that they'd been fishing on and the fishing nets because Peter had gone back to fishing. See, he was supposed to be preaching. He'd gone back to fishing. And he's out doing his old stuff and making his money and getting his fish. And Jesus said, I know you love all this. I know you love giving yourself to all of this. But I want to ask you a question, a personal question. Do you love me more than you love these things? Can I ask you something, young people? What are the these things in your life? What's the Holy Ghost pointing at right now and saying, do you love Jesus more than that? It may not even be some awful thing, but do you love Jesus enough to give that to Jesus? Not just the bad in your life, but the good in your life. Are you willing to say to Jesus, you can have all there is of me. Do you love me, Peter? Keep reading. Look at verse 16. He saith, excuse me, verse 15. He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Let's see if you really paid attention. How many times did Peter deny the Lord? Tell me, how many times? Three. He cursed and swore and said, I don't know the man. How many times? Three times. How many times did Jesus look him in the face and say, do you love me? Three times. I think for every one of his denials, the Lord was giving him the opportunity now to make a clear confession. Lord Jesus, I do love you. I do love you. Have you been timid at your school? Have you been ashamed of Jesus in the locker room and with your friends on a Friday night? Have you been... Have you been embarrassed to be really identified as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? He knows. But now he's asking, do you love me? You you say you do. Look, he says, I don't just want you to think it. I want you to say it. And I don't just want you to say it. I want you to live it. I, I want you to put it in words. And then I want you to demonstrate it by what you do with your life. Do you really love Jesus? We sing a lot of lies in church, you know. Things like, all to Jesus I surrender. Do you? We sing that we love the Lord Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Do you? We ought to. We love him because he first loved us. Jesus didn't ask you to love him first. He loved you first. Jesus didn't ask you to give yourself first. He gave himself first. Jesus didn't ask you to pick up your cross first. He took up his cross first. Do you understand? He always goes first. He's the first cause. He's just asking you, see if this sounds familiar, to follow him. 
He's just asking you to get in line and get in step behind Him. He's asking you to respond to His divine love and love Him in return. This might sound weird, but when was the last time you told Jesus, I love you? And by the way, if you think, well, that's a sissy kind of thing, that's a, that's a weak kind of thing, I'm going to tell you the strongest thing on earth is love, and the greatest love is God's love for us and our love in return. There is nothing grander on this planet than the love of God. Nothing. Would anybody that watches your life think you really love Jesus? I'm not asking do you call yourself a Christian. I'm asking do you reflect the love of Christ? I tell you something really cool. This is interesting. Did you know... There were different words for love in that day. And Jesus' word, when he said, do you love me, was agape. You've heard that word before? It's God's love. That's like the deep, great love of God. He looks at Peter and says, do you agape me? Did you know that Peter did not use the word when he answered? He said, I phileo you. Phileo, sound like anything? City of brotherly love is what? Philadelphia. It was not the agape love. It was friendly love. This is interesting. Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you really love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength? And Peter says, well, I love you as a friend. That's the first time. Second time, Peter, do you agape me? Peter says, I I phileo you. I'm friendly towards you. By the way, Jesus doesn't just want people who are friendly to him on Sunday and friendly to him when it's convenient. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for somebody that loves him with all. But I love this. You want to know about the mercy of Jesus? Let me tell you about my Savior. The third time, Jesus changed his word. That's powerful. The third time Jesus asked him, he didn't use the word agape. He looks at him and says, do you phileo me? Peter, are you really my friend? Somebody said, I wonder why he would do that. I'm going to tell you why. Because at that moment, I think Peter was afraid to make any more promises. How many of you know if you'd made that kind of promise and blown it, you wouldn't want to make any more promises? That's why some of you hadn't made a decision yet. You've been to camp so many times, thrown so many sticks in the fire, given so many testimonies, and the devil's telling you, well, it didn't take the first time. It's not going to take this year. Oh, I love this. Jesus will meet you right where you are. Wherever you are, the Lord will come right to where you are, and you start right where you are. Maybe you don't love him with all, but why don't you begin tonight to say, Lord, I want to love you, and I yield myself to you. The next thing, would you write it down, please? Number six, he discovered his purpose. You're going to have to find your purpose. What was Peter's purpose? Well, keep reading. You're still in John 21? Verse 18, verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young. How many people in here are young? Raise your hand big and high. Big and high. That's good. That's a relative term. Good to see some of you people in the back raising your hand. That's wonderful. When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old. How many old people in here? Raise your hand, please. All right, I got my hand up. Thank you. Thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. This is fascinating to me. Jesus looks at Peter and said, you've been young and you will be old. Can I just stop right here and say, I'm glad you're young. Enjoy your youth. You can't put a 40-year-old head on a 14-year-old body, and I'm not trying to do that. Enjoy being a teenager. Don't wish your high school years away. Don't wish your senior year away. Enjoy being young. But don't you ever forget this. Someday... Youth will be gone, and when you are old, the only thing that's going to matter is what's connected to Jesus. Look at the end of verse number 19 and see if anything jumps out at you. And when he had spoken this, 
He saith unto him, look familiar, follow me. Then Peter, turning about, see the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, if I tarry, will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Here it is again, follow thou me. Some of you this week are waiting on a friend. You're just waiting on a friend to move. Peter, stop looking at John. What John does is not your business. And what Jesus does with John is not your business. Your business is between you and Jesus. Stop worrying about everybody else. Stop waiting on somebody else. And you just follow Jesus. Do you know what his purpose was? Not first to lead, first to follow. To follow Jesus and feed the sheep. This was the man that God was going to use to preach on Pentecost when 3,000 people got saved. The preacher who cursed? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wait wait a minute. You're telling me the guy who is too scared to tell a teenage girl he even knew Jesus is going to preach and bring 3,000 souls? That's exactly right. You know what this is? This is not how great Peter is. This is how great Jesus is. And Jesus only, look at me, Jesus only can help you discover God's purpose for your life. You don't make your own way. You don't don't chart your own course. You find out why God lets you live. And when you do, (laughs) it's the most thrilling thing in the world. July 27th, 1989, I was at summer camp for the first time. I told you early this week I came to this camp. That was not the first camp I'd ever been to. God spoke to me and dealt with me about a lot of things and yielded my life to the Lord in this camp a couple years after that. But the first camp I ever went to was nothing like this camp. It had one building and it had one ball field and there wasn't a blade of grass on the ball field. It was nothing but dirt. It was a really nice place, let me tell you. Guys stayed on one end of the building, girls stayed on the other, and we had our meals and met in the middle. It was like a cinder block building out in the hills somewhere, and there was nothing to do. And it was the greatest week of my life. You're one of the great camps right now, and you're, look, you're, you're having a great time, and I'm glad for every bit of it. But you know what makes a place great? I'm sorry. Not the size of it, not the attractions at it. I'm going to tell you what makes any place great, Jesus being there. And the Lord Jesus met me at that camp. I was 12 years old. It was Thursday night. Every time I walk into a Thursday night service in camp, I go back in my mind and remember that night. We were in a big building. Not the camp property. We were meeting at a church for the evening services. And I sat by myself in a chair under a balcony in a corner all alone that night. An evangelist was preaching. I just saw him not long ago. He's getting up in years now. But he preached like a wild man. He jumped up and down, hollered and screamed, stomped, snorted, spit all over the first three rows. I still don't remember anything he said. I'll tell you what I remember. That night, the Lord dealt with my heart. That night, I discovered my purpose. Somebody says, oh, you knew you were going to be an evangelist? No, no, I had no idea about that. I didn't know that until eight years ago. I say the will of God's a journey, not a destination. It keeps unfolding all through life. You don't ever get there. You're just kind of on the path with Jesus. But that night is what set it all in motion. A lot of my friends were coming forward that night and 
there are people getting saved and people getting right with the Lord and people surrendering their life to God. And I was struggling. I mean, I was battling. And they just kept singing and kept singing and kept singing. And I thought, man, if I could ever just get out of here. And finally, I thought, this is miserable. And it was like at that moment, the Holy Spirit said to me, it always will be miserable as long as you say no to Jesus. And I thought, I I'm not living like this anymore. And here's what I did. Would you look carefully? Here's what I did. Let me review. Watch carefully, please. Here's what I did. I took one step. It was a long aisle. I took one step. I had looked down that aisle, seen the altar, and I thought, that's a long ways down there. I had family there that night. I was worried what they, were, they would think. I had a bunch of friends there that night. I was embarrassed what they would say. I just had all these things going through my mind. And I'm like fighting with myself, fighting with the devil. Really, I was fighting with the Lord is what I was doing. And finally, I just took one step. I can't explain it any other way. It was like when I took one step towards the Lord, one step in faith and obedience, one step towards what God wanted me to do, the Lord helped me walk the rest of the way down. And I remember that night kneeling there in the altar and saying to the Lord, Lord, you can have my life. I didn't know what God would do. I'm, I'm testifying now. All these years later, that one night was a turning point for me. It was like this night for Simon Peter, this morning for Simon Peter, because it was like the little hinge that a big door swung open on. That's what God's doing in some of your lives right now. He's getting ready to show you what he has for you. It's thrilling. It's the adventure of a lifetime following Jesus. But you've got to begin by getting thoroughly right with him again. Give you one more thing to write down. Number seven on your list if you're keeping the notes that I have. Number seven, he ministered to others. That's what Jesus told him to do, wasn't it? Feed my lambs and feed my sheep. Somebody said, well, where did he do that? Well, we'd have to study the whole book of Acts to answer that question. Peter would not just preach on the day of Pentecost. Peter would be the guy in Cornelius' living room giving him the gospel. And all the Gentiles would get to hear the gospel. How many Gentiles are here tonight? Would you raise your hand? Let me help you. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. How many Gentiles are here tonight? All right? So how many of you are glad the gospel came to the Gentiles too? Yes? Well, Peter was the guy who brought the message of Jesus to the Gentiles. He would use him that way. Then there's these two books at the end of your New Testament. First and second what? Peter. You know what he's doing? He's, he's doing exactly what Jesus said he would do. He was strengthening the brethren. He's feeding the sheep. He's feeding the lambs. And God used him in a mighty way. And all of that started when he had this new beginning with the Lord. I'd like you to look me in the eye for just a moment. I've been praying for several of you today. Some of you have been praying for by name. Some of you, I don't know your names. I know your faces, and I've prayed for you. Some of you, maybe I have not even noticed you this week. We've not bumped into each other. We've not been able to say hello. But there's a lot of stories in this room. And some of you are struggling, trying to think about your past and your present and your future. And it just seems like a big mess, just a mess. And maybe you're waiting on me to, to, to figure it all out for you. I can't do that. And, and those people back there, they can't do it for you either. But I'm going to tell you who can. Jesus can. And Jesus will if you let him. I have a cousin who's just a few years younger than me. His name is Ryan. We basically grew up together. He's a little younger than me, but... Ryan was so full of promise and one of the brightest guys, great athlete, just, just, a, just an awesome young man. 
I moved to Tennessee and was there for 23 years. And when I moved back, something had changed in his life. He was married now, two boys, and not in church. Seemingly very little interest in spiritual things. He was away from God. Pretty soon it came out that he was on drugs. It got worse and worse and worse. It always does. He had some moments of clarity, moments where God was trying to get his attention, an accident here, a wake-up call there. His mother died. I preached the funeral. I remember looking at him. He was a shell. He was a shell of the young man that I remembered, and I just, my heart grieved. I prayed for him. When I'm home, I'd run on the road where he lives, and every time I'd pass his house, I'd say, Dear God, please, wake him up. Do something. I was preaching in Ohio. Right before church, I got a phone call. I usually don't answer the phone right before service, and I looked down, and it said his wife's name. She never called me, and I thought something horrible had happened, and I answered the phone, and when I did, she's sobbing on the other end. And she says, Scott, you've got to help us. She said, our lives are a mess and Ryan's a mess and, and we need help. She said, we're, we're ready. We want help. I said, as soon as I get home, I'll come. I remember going by his house. It was awful. It was awful. He lived in my grandparents, still does, my grandpa's old house. And so it was the old home place, special to me. But I mean... Life's just a mess. It was just a mess. I wish I, could, I wish I could paint a picture, but I can't. It was awful. He said to me, Scott, you've got to help me. He said, I, I don't want this anymore. I want the Lord. I want what God has for my life. He committed to it. If you've ever seen someone coming off drugs, it's an awful thing. And he, he made a commitment, and I'm just going to be very transparent with you. I didn't know if he'd lived through it. It was so violent and so awful. And the withdrawal so bad, I did not know if he'd lived through it. I was on the farm one day. I was up in the woods, actually, and he called me and he said, Are you in town? I said, Yes, I'm close. He said, and I could hear it in his voice. He said, Would you come to the house? He said, I'm by myself. I really need somebody. I got to the house. He was sitting on the front porch in a chair with a, with a blanket around him. He was shivering, shaking uncontrollably. Had a Bible in front of him. It was his mother's Bible. And he said to me, I was just sitting here. Trying to get my mind right. He said, could you read the Bible to me? Couldn't even hold it. And I sat with him. Read the Bible. I remember praying for him. I wish I could tell you I was full of faith. I left his house and I thought, I don't know if he's going to live. Shattered. Just Shattered. Somebody says, that's awful. Yeah, that's what sin does. That's what we're trying to keep you from. That's what God's trying to keep you from. You really think God's trying to keep you from some good thing? You really think Jesus is trying to rob you of all the joy of this world? The greatest thing about Jesus is what he keeps you from. A few months ago, I was home. This has been some time past. 
our church was having an evangelism night, going out in the community, witnessing people. And I, Tammy and I said, we're going to go. And we got over there, and we're in the room, and the door opens up. And Ryan and Angie and both of their teenage boys walk in. Now, you want to talk about a different picture. I wish, I wish now I could transport you and set you in the room because when they walked in the door, they're different people. And that night, Ryan and I got to go out in the community witnessing together. <laughs> and I'm walking down a road with him with gospel tracts, talking to people about the Lord, and it hit me that I was walking next to a miracle, that I was walking next to someone who is himself a picture of the mercy of God. I didn't think he'd even live. Now he's living for Jesus. I didn't know if he'd ever hold down a job again. Now he served the Lord. I talked to him this week on the phone. God's changed his life, changed his marriage, changed his children. God's at work in that family. I drove by his house the other day. Grass all mowed, everything cleaned up and painted up. And I thought, good night, man. Changed his heart, changed his home. It's like, it's like the Lord has just made a transformation there. That's not some HGTV makeover. That's the heart transformation only Jesus can bring. You can't work that up. No preacher can give that to you. You can't make that happen. But you let Jesus be what he wants to be in your life And just like Jesus and Peter, Jesus will give you a new beginning. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.